Here are three words that might ring a bell. The scientific method. It's a process that we learn early on in our grade school years, put into action in our high school years, and then, for many of us, promptly forget after we graduate. So here's a quick refresher. In its most basic form, the scientific method follows these steps. First, you identify a problem or question. Then you hypothesize a solution or outcome. From there, you design and run an experiment to test this prediction. And finally, you analyze the results from your test to see if your hypothesis was correct. The scientific method is the basis of all scientific thinking. But even when we don't recognize it, this process is also the basis of human thinking. Every day, we hypothesize, test our hypotheses, and draw conclusions. It's easy to see how this same process can be and should be applied to a growing business. And it's a methodology that today's guest has leveraged time and time again. Math in general, you start with a problem and you know the solution, it's up to you to figure out the stuff in between in the most efficient way possible. And that is entrepreneurship. To the T, that is what startups are like. You have a problem, you know where you need to get, and you have to figure out how to get there and leveraging the scientific method, which is just a hypothesis-based single variant test, is critically important in the world of software and technology and online businesses. That's Adam Callanan, the co-founder and president of Bottlekeeper, a company producing an innovative insulated bottle designed to keep glass bottles and aluminum cans cold. Since its founding, Bottlekeeper has skyrocketed. Today, it is a multi-million dollar company consistently growing dramatically year over year. But it didn't start that way. Early growth was slow, and it took careful testing and iterating again and again to achieve the success the company has seen. So what tools and mindsets did Adam and his co-founder lean into in those first couple of years that set them on this road to success? And what have they changed since launching that's continued to allow them to grow far more than they ever could have imagined? Find out on this episode of The Journey. There are always exciting things happening in the world of small business. The news that grabs the headlines, though, are always the highlights. The overnight successes, the billion-dollar IPOs, the massive exits. But just like your Instagram feed, that's never the whole story. Let's look deeper than the headlines and press photos. Underneath all of that is the real work of building something valuable and lasting. Don't get me wrong, I love crazy success stories and can be drawn in by those big flashy tales just as much as the next person. But we all know that what's more important than the destination is how you get there. It's the struggles you have to overcome and the insights you learn along the way that make you who you are. So those are the stories we're telling. It's raw, it's honest, and maybe it's exactly what you need to hear. I'm Hillary Georgie, and this is The Journey. So, anyone who owns a small business knows what the difference between surviving and thriving feels like. And obviously, we all aim to thrive. That's why we're excited about our latest partnership with UPS. Our listeners know that whether you're moving your business online or getting into new markets or just trying to make things run faster and more efficiently, small businesses are up against a unique set of challenges. That's why UPS designed innovative tools just for small businesses that are made to help take you to the next level. Learn more about how UPS can get your small business moving forward at ups.com pivot.
When you think about the dreams, literal dreams you had as a child, what do you recall? If you remember anything at all, maybe it's just a vivid nightmare or two. Adam has a very different story. He not only remembers his dreams, but he was dreaming about some pretty mature stuff for a six-year-old. I started having unique dreams at about six, and those dreams revolved around being in an operating room and saving somebody's life. It was weird. I mean, that's kind of an odd thing for a six-year-old to dream about. So that started me down a path of medicine. Clearly, Adam was destined for a career in medicine. As he got older, he started to apply this interest in a very real way. What started as reading and studying became hands-on work at the local hospital. I grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is small. At the time, there was one hospital. So Flagstaff Medical Center, we had a family friend that was the head of the ER. And through family stuff, he got a hold of my interest in medicine. It was weird. I was reading EKG books at 12, but I did get access because this gentleman was the head of the ER. He sort of let me go into places that there's no way I should. I mean, you wouldn't be able to do this stuff now. I probably should have been able to do it then. So I spent a lot of time in ERs and that got me exposed to surgeries and got a nursing degree when I was 16. Adam's formative years were very unique to say the least, but his interests didn't start and end at the hospital. He also spent a lot of time tinkering and building and designing fun side projects. While I was also doing that, I was also breaking things and taking them apart and trying to figure out how to put them together from old stereos and boom boxes to motorcycles. And my grandfather, Papa Lee, was a huge role in my life early on. He was like the wacky inventor. And he had a thousand ideas and he'd go and execute a thousand ideas and not a single one ever worked. But he was so much fun and so impactful in me early on. The time he spent with his grandfather and the time he spent at the hospital taught Adam another important lesson that would stick with him throughout the rest of his life and career. That time is the most precious resource we have. At a young age, I got to run the gamut of being in ORs and seeing that side of it and also being in skilled nursing facilities where you're dealing with end-of-life issues. I got a true in-the-face lesson that time is fleeting and life is short. And the end of it is not generally pretty. So I got a really, really, really humbling lesson as a 16-year-old that family is important and time is critical. So I've always been, and I'm a lunatic about it now, and I have been for the last 10 or 15 years, but particularly now I have a family and young kids, and time is something that I am unbelievably sensitive to and careful with. Adam has held on to that lesson throughout his life, and he always comes back to it anytime he is stuck at a crossroads. One such moment came when he was debating whether to pursue or not pursue continued higher education. So I got to about halfway through school, which was hard. My degree was, I loved it, but it was really quite challenging and had this realization that what I wanted to do at the time, I wanted to be a heart, chest, lung surgeon. That path would have had me getting out of school, medical school, the residencies, all the things that go with that at about 35 and half a million dollars in debt. And at the age of 20, halfway into the degree in the program, I don't know what happened or I, I grew up or something, but that just got less appealing. I got really sensitive to time and I wasn't super interested in pushing the things that at that point in my life were important to me off by a decade or more. So I added a business minor to the studies with the intent to maybe do something in the medical world, but had kind of a business focus to it. After graduating, 
Adam found work as the first salesperson at a medical device company in the early stages of the business. As the company grew, so did his role, and he quickly started to learn the ins and outs of growing and running a business. I got a lot of chops of hiring and firing and dealing and building process around teams. We had figured out how to get in private insurance companies to pay for things that they didn't want to, but were legally obligated to. That was developed just internally to get insurance companies to pay their bills for our services. But it worked really well and ultimately became its own company. Adam pivoted into this new, very young startup where he not only saw quick growth, but began to understand how a different type of business model could unfold. That was a light bulb sort of moment because the medical device company was labor intensive and it was warehouses and delivery vehicles and salespeople and technicians and all sorts of stuff. And the other piece, which became largely a a technology, was a handful of people in cubicles executing documents. And it was a bigger, more powerful entity in a really short period of time with almost no overhead. So that was a really big light bulb. As Adam continued to build this new business, he became frustrated with the rigid work structure. His in-person, on-site time commitment was more than he ever wanted, and he was eager to find or create a job that was far more flexible. Ultimately, Adam decided to sell his position in the company and began focusing on a different project, creating a wine app, a pursuit that drew on a previous interest he had while at college. But while Adam was busy flying solo in the land of Vino, his cousin came to him with a different idea. In 2013, my cousin, Matt, had just come up with this concept for bottle keepers sitting on the beach. He just loves, prefers bottles, and he's has that flash of whatever you want to call it and sees people drinking water bottles and says, why can't I cut one of those in half and jam it with koozie, neoprene koozie, and put a beer bottle inside. I said, well, that's kind of cool, but where do you sell that? Spencer's for seven bucks? Like, that's not a business. I thought it was a great idea. I didn't immediately see its potential at all. He wasn't fully convinced. As scientifically minded as Adam still was, he knew it would take some testing and proof of concept before he felt confident that there was a business to be built out of this one idea for a product. So how did Bottle Keeper go from possible novelty item to doing millions in sales and seeing massive growth year over year? And what did Adam and Matt learn along the way about testing the market, filing for patents, and building or not building a team? Find out after the break. Today's podcast is sponsored by UPS. Look, if there's one thing that all small business owners know, it's that keeping customers waiting just doesn't work. So UPS has unveiled their fastest ground shipping ever, getting you to customers in cities across the U.S. up to a day faster. And now Mission Podcast listeners can save on UPS's fastest ground shipping ever with the code SOAR, S-O-A-R. Small businesses around the country trust UPS to get their orders out the door and delivered every day. Your customers don't have time to wait, and you don't have time to waste. So head to ups.com slash pivot and use the code SOAR, S-O-A-R, to start shipping and saving with UPS's fastest ground ever today. Adam and Matt not only had a unique vision for a new kind of insulated bottle, they also had a distinct idea of how they wanted to run and scale their startup. They wanted to build a business that had near zero overhead 
and would provide them flexibility on where and when they worked. They had a vision of a company that could be scaled through automation and technology and not through employees. I got to leverage a ton from what I learned about going from the medical device, very labor intensive to suddenly this sort of technology like piece that was significantly less labor intensive, but drove more revenue, certainly more profitable revenue and got to leverage that into Bottle Keeper, which I sort of went off the deep end on with respect to leveraging technology and automation and trying to build a company with no employees. But before they would be ready for a lot of technology, they first needed to test the market to see if this business was even viable. Adam set up a website, began investing in ads, and made a video demoing the product. I followed a lot of the lean startup type methodologies, which have a lot of scientific method applied to them just sort of by default. And I shot a video on the beach by our house. We put up a landing page. I think at that time it was just pictures. Like I hacked up. I was terrible at the stuff. Like on Photoshop 2013, hacked up some terrible photo that kind of showed what the product was. And we put up a landing page and collected emails and spent a couple hundred bucks on Google just to see if people would go to the site and be like, hey, that's interesting. Here's my email. And it worked well enough to say like, okay, well, fine. We'll go to the next step. After that, Adam and Matt decided to further test the waters, this time through crowdfunding. They made their product available for pre-order on Fundable, and within 60 days, they had far exceeded their sales goal. Our thing was, look, if we can sell $5,000 for the products to complete strangers, it's worth going to the next step and actually make the product and see if there's a business here. And so our goal was set at that. We sold 13,000 something worth, so we blew past that. But even with customers on board, scaling was still a bumpy ride. They had proven a market was there, but actually marketing to the audience would require even more testing and iterating. It's not like we took off by any stretch of the imagination. We shipped that product. We set up some pre-orders to try to get more sales, but we didn't know how to market. So we fumbled along for months and months and months while I was still trying to do other things. Like I had started this venture fund, which was a terrible idea. Matt was still operating a business with his family that he went into and started with his dad out of college. I was doing the marketing stuff using Facebook and you just kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. And then we got really, really lucky that in that summer of 2014, Facebook launched their video ad platform and that changed everything. Our products, even through today, you have to see them in action. That literally changed everything. I shot a video on a lifeguard tower by our house in Manhattan Beach, put it on Facebook and it exploded. But exploding comes with its own costs. Besides having to learn how to quickly make and ship thousands of incoming orders, the attention they drew from customers also attracted the attention of competitors. Luckily, Adam and Matt had planned for that to happen. Years before, in late 2012, Matt had filed for a provisional patent on the design. For those that don't know, a provisional is basically a placeholder. It's not a patent. You can call it patent pending, but it's basically a placeholder in line that gives you the ability to, within one year, file a real patent. And it basically takes your filing date back to when you filed the provisional, which becomes important when you get to dealing with infringement. The other perk of a provisional patent is that it only costs a couple of grand to secure, whereas filing for an actual patent costs about 10 grand. This gave them runway to save money before filing for the actual patent the next year. But securing the official patent wasn't an automatic or immediate process after filing. It took years for the patent to work its way through the system, and it cost their small company more than $50,000 in legal bills to try to speed up the process. That upfront cost they could afford. But when they finally got the patent, 
the cost to enforce it hit them hard. That's the worst part of, frankly, of operating a business like this. You can't get a patent and not enforce it. You might as well just not get the patent. It has no value if you don't enforce it. Because we had had some early success, the world, <clears throat> China, knew who we were and were making knockoff versions of our products and selling them by the hundreds on Amazon. The only reason it got better is because we then had to go and sue a bunch of small companies in order to get what's called a consent, try to get what's called a consent judgment out of settlements. A consent judgment is a court order. That cost a half a million dollars in the first year. And that is not an insignificant amount of money. That is literally why we didn't grow from 2016 to 2017. It had to go into suing 10 companies that are being operated out of somebody's basement, tiny, tiny companies, you know that they can't fight. And then doing settlements and it takes months and months. I mean, it literally took years, but it sucks the life out of you. It wasn't an enjoyable process. Legal filings hardly are. But by putting in that time and money early on, today they have the legal backing and systems in place to shut down copycats a lot faster. It's a game of whack-a-mole, but they're just good at whack-a-mole. And the more you do it, the longer you do it, the less moles there are to whack. Moles whacked and marketing strategy working. Adam and Matt were now leading a multi-million dollar company. But there's only so much a two-person team can do. And as they grew, they began to see gaps in their systems. My deal with this company, which certainly changed over the years, I didn't want to have a team. The intent was to build a company that we could scale without needing to have a team of people doing it. So we outsourced, we automated, we leveraged the hell out of technology every way that we could figure out how Going back to science, we knew where we were and we knew where we needed to be. Then it was go find the things that will connect and talk to each other. That was in the foundation of the whole concept was if something comes up and it's an opportunity and it's going to require us to hire people, we're going to say no to it. And that happened a lot, relatively early. But because of that, I also over-automated. There were early hiccups in the automation process, including near disastrous issues with shipping and fulfillment as they tried to iron out how their technology communicated with each other. Luckily, Adam and Matt were able to solve those problems and build a system that worked and worked for a while. But as they grew, new problems started to arise. Retail and in-store selling wasn't possible with a two-person team, nor was providing a great customer service experience. It's really easy to automate in a personal way. You're doing 10 orders a day, maybe 100 orders a day. I mean, that's maybe pushing it. When you're doing a thousand orders a day, like you can't deal with customer service requests fast enough. Even when 99% of them are the same requests, like it's not a possibility. And the wheels on the wagon definitely started to wobble significantly. Adam and Matt slowly began to bring in new team members. They were very focused on hiring for culture fit, which has helped maintain the autonomy and flexibility they both love while still being able to scale the business in new ways. In 2018, Bottle Keeper was valued at $20 million. Since then, the company has appeared on Shark Tank, where Adam secured a deal with both Mark Cuban and Lori Grenier. And Bottle Keeper continues to stand out as a young business with an impressive growth trajectory. But even after all that, Adam would still tell you that it always comes back to the scientific method. It was that thought process that not only allowed them to find new marketing channels that worked, but also helped them reevaluate their assumptions about how they wanted to grow the company. Everything in business is just a hypothesis ready to be proven or disproven. There is no prediction that fits every business. 
or if it's a business at every point of its growth. You do really get to do it however you want to do it. You literally get to create and start from nothing and build and mold however you want it to be. It doesn't have to be traditional. It doesn't have to be the way your parents taught you. It doesn't have to be the way your friend John down the street did his. So just make life easier and make it up as you go. Whether it's planning several steps ahead to prove a business model or file for a patent, or rethinking how they've operated since day one, Adam reminds us that there is no right way to run the experiment that is entrepreneurship. From finding his way into operating rooms as a kid, to becoming a nurse as a teenager, to branching out into business and later starting his own company, Adam certainly has made it up as he's gone along. But while he could always steer the ship in any direction, it was the right logical, scientific mindset that helped turn those decisions into a path of success. The Journey is created by Mission.org and sponsored by UPS. To learn more about the show or mission, visit Mission.org. And to learn more about how UPS can help your business, visit ups.com slash pivot.